to serve God now. We are lacking nothing. The problem is, is, do we have enough of the Spirit? The question is, does the Spirit have us? Are we allowing Him to control us in our lives? Because we're going to see the different places. Yet we'll save the grace, faith, but there's nothing that God says to the preacher. You make sure you're constantly reminding your people of these things. That's what we're going to see tonight. What is God reminding us to do? Lord, help us to do it your word. And I pray that you'll help me to teach the good people here tonight. I pray that, Lord, you'll just truly bless the time of the reading of your word and I try to explain the concept and see it repeated over and over again. Or maybe believe what you have said. Or we maybe believe and put into action the words that you have taught. Thank you both what we do. I pray for faith in Jesus' name and Amen. So now we're back into Titus chapter number three. We're going to read here verse six to eight. After five to eight. And verse 5, the latter part of it, he speaks of the Spirit of God. And then verse 6, we're going to see what, what we, why we just read Titus. It's even that. Look at that. So Titus, chapter verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, who saved us. That will be a past tense. The action has already been done. The moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, it was completed inside of you. He also incorporates this by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which, or the Father's, the person of the Holy Spirit, He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, being justified by His grace, we can be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a painful thing. And these things I will, without affirm confidently, that they which have believed in God must be careful to maintain good works. These things are good. And notice, and profitable unto men. In other words, or what he's talking about here is this is what's best for you. Not just for the world, but you as an individual. The Word of God is an amazing thing how He teaches and instructs us about not only eternal life, but how we're supposed to live here on this earth. We saw in verse number five the salvation and the call of salvation and it is because of the mercy of God. And He tells us that He has washed us, that God has bathed us from our sin through regenerating us. But he certainly tells us there is a regeneration, a renewing that comes as a result of the Holy Ghost. And then verse 6 goes along with the thought of the Spirit of God that this the Holy Spirit of God has been poured out richly upon us, but it was done through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So without the Savior, we can't have the Spirit of God. Without the Savior, there's no indwelling of the Spirit of God. That's why Jesus said, it is more expedient to you that I go. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit is not going to be coming down as He does in the, in the New Testament. So it was important for that. And I love that phrase as we get into it of, of, uh, of the Holy Spirit being poured out on us abundantly 
for riches. I don't know why it is, but sometimes we're afraid to speak about the Spirit of God. And when we start talking about the feeling of the Spirit of God, we start to shudder because we sometimes don't understand what that means. So I'm going to give you a real abridged version of what we mean by being filled with the Spirit. Because we are called to be filled with the Spirit for the Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't be drunk with wine, we're in excess of excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And the truth of that is continually be being filled with the Spirit. So at the end of the time period, they were not filled with the Spirit. Well, what's the evidence of the filling of the Spirit? Well, so I attribute that to, well, I keep getting more of the Holy Spirit as I go through my Christian life. Well, according to the Scripture, we are sealed by the Spirit of God. We have received the Spirit of God, and it just goes on with the thought of we've already received Him, we've been sealed by Him. Um, we're, we're to understand that the Holy Spirit is in us. We're now the temple of God. He's already there. You can't get more of Him. He's either in you or He's not. And there's nothing in between. You can't have a little bit of Him. You either have all of Him or you have none of Him. There's nobody that is in the And He had a third portion of the Spirit of God. You know what I'm saying? You either have them or you don't. But there are some that say, well, there's a second blessing later on. After you got saved, then you got to get the second blessing, and then you really get off the rest of the Holy Spirit, and then you live in different life. Well, I didn't see that in the description either. It sounds good, but it doesn't make biblical sense. So we receive all the Holy Spirit. Now, this matter of walking, walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, you know, don't be drunk with wine or the text, but be filled with the Spirit. It's the body as we yield ourselves to the Spirit of God, which is always in conjunction with Jesus Christ and the Word of God. The Spirit of God is all, His purpose is constantly to point us to Christ. Even here, there's a connection between Jesus the Savior and the pouring out of the Spirit of God. Because we cannot disconnect. Christ and the work of the Spirit of God. His God is to honor Jesus Christ, according to the Gospel. So, in Galatians 5, he gets into the concept that as we walk in the Spirit, or are we are filled with the Spirit, we are, according to Colossians, uh, the Word of Christ is dwelling in us richly, and we begin to understand that God is then controlling us because we are opening up our hearts and we're susceptible to what the Spirit of God is truly trying to teach us. I have, this is just my philosophy, and I can't find a verse that goes along with it, but I wonder sometimes why we have so much noise in our lives. I wonder if it's we're trying to block out what the Spirit of God is trying to say to us. Seems like we have our music so loud. And everything is so loud, it's almost like we're trying to create this noise, and then when we're all still, never be still for more than we Sometimes I think the quietness is when God is able to begin 
drill speaking what we have loud costs and loud those is like a pet loud. But I wonder sometimes if there's a reason to that still small voice that we're trying to control. I don't know if that. Because the street guy is going to say, listen, if we have some sin here, you're supposed to really speak here. That anger you're dealing with, I'm trying to help you control that, and you won't listen to me. And so the walking in the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit inside of us. The love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and what we talked about this morning, temperance, the control. It's not you controlling your emotions, it's the Spirit of God who is in you can empower you to overcome. And so, this is why He has given us the Holy Spirit. This is why He has poured it on us, not just a little, but the Spirit of God has poured abundantly over us, richly. It's as though we have more than enough, more than we actually need. And there's no excuse for us. And think for me right now. Because we can all come up with excuses of why. We can all have these reasons. But it comes down to, no matter where we're at in life, young or old, we have already received the Spirit. And so now it is our job to walk in the Spirit, abide in Christ, or to walk with Him daily. And that's when we start to thank the presence of God to bring healing, to bring love instead of hate, and joy instead of sadness, and all the opposites that are in the works of Christ. This is what the Spirit of God is trying to produce inside of us because He has given us, through Jesus the Savior, He has given us the abundance of the Holy Spirit of God. Verse number seven, there's a couple of other verses we're going to show you to uh, compare to see the same concept. That being, um, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So if we ask one another as a Christian, what's your hope? What is your hope? And if you don't have anybody beside you to whisper answers in your ear, and you're thinking, okay, I know the Bible talks about hope. I remember the preacher had a whole year talking about hope. Hope is really, really important, isn't it, in the Bible? It is. What's the hope? What's the basis? And often we know we use the word hope in a negative way. Like, I'm sure hope is coming, but I don't know. That's not hope in the Bible. Hope is absolute, joyful. I know it's going to happen. Everything will go It's an expectation of what God is going to be doing. I just don't know when. So there is something that we know is coming. We have something to look forward to. And the text tells us this is an eternal life hope. The hope of eternal life, which God has been outlined promise before the world could be held on to. So this is our hope of being in heaven, being with Him one day, and we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And the connection that we have with Him. Just a little bit. Uh, if you this out, and we look at Galatians chapter 34, but we're going to chapter 4 in the beginning. He deals with the adoption of sons. And what he teaches us is this. We have our sons yet. Now, you are already the sons of God. First John chapter 3. 
but it's not, it's like Galatians is also helping you to realize that there is an adoption for a lot of things that go along with it. And what it means is that uh, a child, when he was, when he was growing up, even though he's been adopted, he doesn't receive the full inheritance of those grown up. And that's like you and I right now. We're still kids. We're, we're pissed. Nothing can change that. But we haven't received everything yet. Matter of fact, he also tells us in that the Spirit of God is the down payment, if you will, of everything that God is going to be giving us one day. And so, because of this waiting, we are right now waiting, and we have no idea everything that we're going to inherit from them when we finally get into heaven. And we know everything that Jesus is, everything he owns, everything that he possesses, we are joint heirs with him. We're loaded. You wouldn't even use the word billionaires. We own it all. There's nothing lacking at all because we are connected to Jesus Christ. We're heirs with him. And this is our hope that ultimately that is about eternal life. Now the first part of that verse though that being justified by His grace. The age-old question, how are we really, really saved? You know, you go to James, you go to other places, and you deal with, with works, and then you go to Romans, you go to Galatians, you go, you know, this book and other places, and you deal with this matter of faith, and it can be sometimes a little bit confusing. So I would love for you to come back with me to the book of Romans. And we're going to look at several verses and the reason I don't want to do this, and many, for many of you, these are very familiar verses. Each one of these verses are talking about spiritual salvation. So we're not taking the verse out of context. We're dealing right with the subject of being declared righteous in God's sight the moment we are trusting Jesus as a Savior. And we're familiar with Romans 3, because that's the text that tells us about everybody saying, all sin before the glory of God, there's nobody righteous, there's not one, the list goes on. And if you were to stop right there, verse number 20, where no flesh could be justified in the sight, if we stop, and God stopped right there, we would be the most miserable people in the world. But, it is now the problem. Verse number 21. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifest or revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now notice, he's trying to show you that this has always been God's plan. Even when Moses was getting the law, it's always been a declaration of righteousness by faith. Never did the law produce eternal life. The only thing the law did was gave death because man fell to keep the law. So God has this whole thing pointed out about how can we be declared righteous by God? Well, verse 22, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that do this. Believe for there is no difference. So the key is faith or believing. For all heaven and comes over the glory of God. But we're going to change his ears, being justified freely by his grace. 
through the redemption, or that's where Jesus bought us back to himself, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, clearly, God is saying within the text, we're sinners, we can't save ourselves, we are depraved, we can't swim in this water of sin, we're dying. So Jesus, the Savior, lifts us up out of that sin in order to give us the eternal life and to declare us righteous in God's sight. You can read the rest of that chapter on chapter 4. What should we say then? Verse 1. Romans 4 1. What should we say then? That Abraham, our father, and pertaining to God, has passed. Abraham, first of all. Abraham, is he during the law or pre law? Genesis way before the law of Moses even come on the scene. So, what did Abraham do in Genesis chapter 12 and follow? Well, let's find out what this patriarch had to conclude. For two, for Abraham was justified by works, he had whereof the glory. Not for God. In other words, there's no boasting before God. Now, we can boast before each other. We can say, oh, I'm a good person. I'm a really good person. My grandma, he's a really good person. You can say, that person a really good person. But Abraham, who left land, didn't rule, left his family, both and takes off by faith to a land that he had never been before. God says, I see this faith in me. He's believing in this faith to that. And so, what did Abraham return to? Well, if I was justified before God by my works, I could be like, wow, look how good I am. But he knows that if I stood before God and was holy and righteous, there's no way I could brag saying how good I am. Why? Because chapter 3. For all of sin and comfort of the glory of God. No one can say, I achieved it. For what says the scripture? Not what the philosophers say, not even what great commentaries say. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted unto him for righteousness. Period. Period. You cannot add to it, you cannot take away from it. It is faith alone declared him in God's sight, righteous in his sight. Therefore, that to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned in grace, but of death. So if you look your way to heaven, you're dead. You have a debt you will never be able to pay. You're trying to earn your way, earn your way. You realize every, every cost is based on paying off your own debt. Work, work, work. JWs. Mormons. Every cult is based on works to get into heaven. In the scriptures, to him that works, then you have a debt that you have to pay yourself. Think where you're going to pay that debt that will never be filled in hell. The person that doesn't believe that Jesus Christ paid for the sin will then pay for it himself. If you believe that Jesus paid for it, it is now grace. If you believe you have to do it, you're in debt up to your eyeballs and you'll never get out of debt. That's why I tell you, for five, five, 
here in reverse. To him that worketh not, what does that mean? Is not attempting to earn forgiveness on his own merits, but does this, believe on him that justifies the good people? The ungodly for all the sin and the Lord of the glory of God for all sinners, he justifies and declares righteous to ungodly his faith, that is the faith of the ungodly person, is counted for righteousness. That takes hold, even for this, even as David also described, where David at in the whole timeline of the Testament. Abraham is free law, David is story the law. So, what's David finding out? Well, he describes this happening in the blessed day of the man, under whom God imputes righteousness without works. Saying, blessed are they whose names are forgiven, done deal, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Comes his blessedness upon the Jews or circumcised only, or upon the uncircumcised also. So we say that faith was reckoned amen for righteousness. Well, how was it reckoned? Then reckoned. Well, he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision. He measured his own circumcision, but not circumcision. In other words, Abraham was declared righteous before the covenant was ever agreed upon concerning circumcision. Before any law, he was declared righteous. Before then, he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised. And he might be worth the father of us all. Who's the of us all? Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. Because we're considered the uncircumcised, right? To where the unclean ones, so he's even the father of us all, of them to believe. So they be uncircumcised, but the righteousness that be imputed unto them also. So Jews get out of the right law here in the Free law, going law, save the same life. Faith, 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 faith. I think we've got to see the list goes on with other chapters. I think you can see the list of the statutory concept. What do you get back to the I want us to establish something because sometimes I have a long conversation with a man who's really wrestling with, with this concept. Well, now that I'm saved, I have all this grace and mercy, I have the Holy Spirit, I'm saved without works, I can't work my way into heaven to all of that. But where do works come in? What happens if a person just prays a prayer and that works? There's nothing. No reason about that. Nothing. Well, the question is, what was the thing called about it? What happened in time of death? Could there be a transformation? Can we have the abundance of the Holy Spirit and nothing happens? I think that's where you're getting into the James concept that we're probably going to see an evidence of faith inside of us by our work. Because a dead faith never saved. For Corinthians 15, he goes to the gospel and he says, Unless you believe in vain, hopefully, just pray in a prayer and that's it. He has to deal with this in Romans chapter 6, 
there are philosophers coming in and saying, there's no morality to do whatever you want. You just pray prayer and invite Jesus in that, that day. You know? And then they were saying, well, we might as well go ahead and keep on sinning. That way we keep on getting the abundance of grace. Oh, indeed. You know, we didn't get to say that. But I think you can almost think that Paul was raising this. What are you thinking? How can we, who were dead to sin, live any longer there? In other words, the question was, well, we might as well go ahead and sin the great thing about it. He goes, look, this is depression. Why would you want to go back to the garbage again? God gave you eternal life. He can save you from hell. You're going to heaven now. Oh, you think so? You think? You think? That's as deep as it goes. Well, thank God for getting out of hell, hell free. He was thinking about that. Man, uh-uh. you really get down there and you're overwhelmed. I don't care. I am still overwhelmed with grace. His grace still amazes me. I can't believe I'm forgiven. So this is what causes me to desire to serve him. And to work for him. And the work won't get me into heaven, but as we're going to see, these works do count for us. Towards us is profitable to us. So that's what we pick up in verse eight. So this is a painful thing. In other words, this is something that's trustworthy. Uh, you're in what Paul took right? Giving you all kinds of trust in you. This is what I'm going to do for you, and you have a big question mark over your head. <laughs> is it trustworthy? You know, why is this like your husband? I promise you, I promise you, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix that. And then six months later, you hear this, and you say, I'm going to trustworthy, right? And what we're saying, this is God. This is trustworthy to you can, you can really take years here. And then goes to the preacher, Titus, and these things I will the doubt affirm constantly. Can I talk to you a second about this? I've been doing this for 39 years. And uh, sometimes I think, hey, Carl, aren't you tired of listening to yourself? And I think the people are scared here. Because sometimes you feel like you're a broken record, skipping and kind of saying the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. You know how many times I've tried to run to that floor and it hurts? I can't tell you how much. You remember all that. That's perfect. I don't remember that. And it's time that God continually has an opportunity to be with us. He's the same, same, same. You know why? We forget. Always coming to the side and not that important. It's interesting, I got a hold of this concept years ago. It's just a little phrase that God says to the preacher. Don't be not the officer, don't be not the king. He gets the officers. Okay. <laughs> 
so, you know, we tie these locks, you know, and they go around and around and around and they cover over all the, you know, we, we, we separate
your occupation, what you do is good work. By the way, he's my life. We all are and Christians. Bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Or the kind of life or an occupation. But when you clock in in the morning, it's 4.30 or 6.30 or what time you wake up, you just clock in to Jesus. You maintain your work. And the day time was clocked out. 24 days. This is who we are. This is our lifestyle. We're on vacation. We're still Christians. We're always Christians. We don't put that hat off. We're still witnessing everywhere we're at. And all we got is any. Constantly maintaining good work. Because of God's great mercy, because God has given us abundantly His Holy Spirit, He's endowed us with everything. The Son has died for us. He showed us His mercy. He showed His goodness to us. Now He's calling us to show godliness in front of the world. That they will be able to see that God controls me. I've been bought with the Christ. Therefore, glorify God and God and spirit for His. We're to look at the one who paid for our salvation and say, Lord, I want to show you, not because I have to, but because I want to, I want to show you how thankful I am for the salvation that you've given. And when we begin to serve in the work, he tells us the last part of this work, these things are good and profitable unto the man, unto the believers, it is profitable for us all. Well, Also, then, when we stand for the church, we win and we win. As we maintain good works, it begins to keep us in order and line and in step with God, and we receive the blessings that come from God. It's when we get out of sin. It's when we start doing it our way. That's when we're falling our face. And that's when everything's going bad. Our attitudes think we're depressed, we're going through all the wrong, life is so horrible. Welcome, we're out of step with God. We're going off in the sin, we're doing the body, we're going all these things and so we got out of sin with God, now you're in the pit. So, you get back home to God, wants to go after you and bring you back. Keep you on the road again, serving Jesus Christ. Because that's where it's going. You're going serving Jesus. So therefore, there's misery if you're not. And when we're miserable Christians, we're not serving Jesus. This is not that easy. And we laugh because it's so easy. But we find ourselves going off like the old days to bring that thought up. It's how easy it is for me to do. How easy it is for me to forget. There's no benefit in drunkenness. There's no benefit in adultery. There's no benefit in sin. Maybe for a season, it seems like a lot of fun, but there's no benefit. It's going to destroy lives all around. It's going to destroy the home. It's going to destroy work. It's going to destroy. It brings no joy. It's 